Welcome to Backroom Talk. Well, guys, welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. I am Georgia here with Carl, and we are going to talk all things pre and post workout nutrition today. Nutrition timing around training is important, more based on how it makes you feel, less on the research that backs up uh, what's optimal. Let's troubleshoot a little bit and just talk about some, uh, and I brought this one up earlier, but some examples of where uh, training might be in non-ideal times. Uh. Over the past decade, research has shown us that um, consistent uh, protein dosages throughout the day is probably best. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Well guys, welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. I am Georgia here with Carl and we are going to talk all things pre and post workout nutrition today. Yes. Nutrition timing. Yeah. Nutrition timing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. This was like such an important topic for me when I was first getting into lifting weights and like learning about nutrition and exercise when I was like, you know, 17, 18 years old, it felt like the holy grail of everything nutrition. Like what you ate around the workout felt like the most important thing at that point in time. I think I probably evolved in my thinking and my thoughts around that uh, over the years, but it is a topic that still like has an appeal and a level of interest to me. And I see that in a lot of like young coaches and people starting out in fitness as well. Yeah. The first thing I wrote down, just like thinking about this uh, topic and thoughts around it was early 2000s. That was like the first thing that came to my brain was early 2000s because that's when um, the book on, on nutrition timing came out and um, it was a big deal, right? It's like everyone was like organizing, you know, what they were eating, how they were eating, uh, you know, the anabolic window was, uh, was king. Um, yeah, early 2000s. And it's still important, and we'll get into it, but uh, I think it's important. Nu- nutrition timing around training is important, more based on how it makes you feel, less on the research that backs up uh, what's optimal. Definitely. And I think that a conversation in nutrition timing around a workout has to always be grounded in a larger conversation of what good nutrition in type and amount and everything else consists of throughout the day. Uh, So we can't just think in isolation what is good pre and post workout nutrition. We do have to think more globally what is good nutrition for this person in general. Yeah. And and that's us again, right? Like adding our biases to the conversation. Um, and, And what you said, like, because essentially, let's just say, you know, in, in type and all of that, it's like, well, what's the quality of food that you're eating? Um, there's there's a lot of camps that don't care about the quality of food. Um, and hey, that's that's their their uh, their their ideology around it. And it makes sense for what they're doing. Right. It's like we want to build strength and we want to build muscle tissue. That's not the way that we're looking at this. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit today, but that's not the way we look at it. Right. It's like we're looking at the big picture. Right. Like, where does this fit in? and living a, uh, a, a more vital life, right? And, and that's in lifestyle. So that is important to us and that's always gonna be in the conversation. But you know, for anyone listening, that's like, yeah, that shit actually doesn't matter. It's all about the carbs, protein, and fats and the timing around it. It's like, there's some validity to that as well. We can't ignore that. But all we're saying is that we're, we just want to add a little bit more to the conversation. Definitely. So, uh, well, before we get into uh, the chat, guys, as always, please make sure you like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. And if you are on audio, take two minutes out of your day. Go ahead uh, and uh, leave us a review. Five stars only. Thank you. Just just kidding. <laughs> Be honest. But uh, we'd love to hear what you think of the show and definitely uh, appreciate that feedback. So take a minute to do that, please. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to start with uh, just ideas around nutrient timing and then we can get into specifics around pre and post yeah that sounds great yeah i think the first thing we have to look at is because this this conversation is based around exercise right like exercise the exercise session is here and it's like how do you organize your day around that or your feedings around that and some things that we know to be true about exercise is that it could be very anabolic or very catabolic um you know if you go into the gym and you're doing, you know, some bench press, bicep curls, and some leg extensions, it's like, you're actually building some animalism there. Like you're not completely just like dying, crippling and catabolism there. So that's important to understand that you are actually becoming anabolic when you do resistance training. Um, If you go in and you're doing like, 
you know, 21, 15 nines times eight sets. It's like, that's catabolism, right? Um, and I know that's like very reductionist just to say like 21, 15, nine, you're doing that and it equals this. But um, what I'm trying to say around that is like, if you go in and you do um, intense aerobic training or intense anaerobic training, or even if you do non-intense aerobic training at a certain period of time, you're becoming catabolic, right? And that's where the whole idea around like, uh, you know, cardio is going to ruin your gains, bro, right? Like that's where that idea comes from. Um, so we have to understand those two things first, like what's actually happening. And then I think that's a good place to start when we're thinking about, okay, what should we do in nutrition around those things? And we'll get into those when we get into the specifics around pre and post, but I just wanted to start there. Yeah, I like that as a beginning point because when we're thinking about pre-workout pre nutrition and post-workout nutrition, we have to consider what is the intention of those two things. And depending on the type of exercise that's being done, the intention of pre and post nutrition is gonna be different. Pre-workout nutrition has to prepare us for you know best expression of what we want to go and be able to do in the gym to feel great or to have good energy throughout and do the work we need to do. Depending on the type of work, that's going to require a different fuel source. Post-workout nutrition has to allow us to recover from the work that we did and be able to like actually make the gains. You hear people speak all the time about how gains aren't made in the gym. They're made in the what happens after and in that recovery period. So if something is anabolic in nature, we want to be able to capitalize on that with our nutrition. If it is catabolic in nature, we want to make sure that we can prevent any of the negative side effects and muscle wa muscle wasting that could be happening by taking the steps we need to in nutrition uh, after that period. Yeah, yeah, good point. And then in, in nutrition, and we talked about this uh, briefly right before we started, it's, you know, what is nutrition? Nutrition is the macronutrients that we put on our bodies, the micronutrients that we put in, the bo in our bodies and how we hydrate our cells. So we can't talk about pre post nutrition timing without talking about those three things. I think it's a lot easier for people to wrap their brains around the macros and less like, okay, what's the equation for hydration and what's the equation for micronutrients, right? It's like going back to your type conversation or your type point when we started, it's like, just eat really high quality foods and you're probably going to be okay on the, the micronutrient piece. If you're just, you know, biasing gummy bears post training and, um, you know, you're just worried about getting the appropriate amount of carbs pre-training with white rice and, and nothing else and some chicken breast. And, you know, you're just looking at the macros inside of that thing. You might be missing out on the, on the micronutrients that you need. So I think it's just easier, right? It's just easier. It's like, yeah, eat really high quality foods and have a bunch of, you know, natural colors, uh, not artificial, but natural colors in the food sources that you eat and your bases are probably covered there. Um, and then on the hydration piece, uh, we'll dig into it more specifically in, in the pre and the pre-workout um, conversation uh, specifically, but um, yeah, you just got to be hydrated all the time. Yeah, there's it's not that nuanced. Just stay hydrated throughout the day, and there's some strategies to understand if you're hydrated pre-workout, post-workout stuff like that. But um, ensure that your macronutrient uh, needs are met, your micronutrient needs are met, and ensure that your Peeing clear most times when yeah. you go to the bathroom. I mean, uh, just to quickly dial in on that hydration point, how does exercise affect hydration? Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, it's it. I, I would ask, how does being dehydrated affect exercise? Just for this conversation, right? Um, it's obvious how, like, uh, you know, very high volume aerobic training or anaerobic training can affect hydration. It's like you lose fluids, you have to replenish those fluids. Um, in terms of going in and doing the session that I laid out earlier, the curls and the leg extensions and, and things like that, it's like you're probably not dripping, pouring sweat if you're in like a climate-controlled gym. So hydration's not going to be that much of a factor in terms of replenishing hydration after those sessions. But if you're dehydrated going into those sessions, you're going to feel like shit um, and you're not going to perform or even feel like performing when you're inside of those sessions. So I'd say that's actually more important with hydration. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you want to dive into macronutrients? Let's do it. Um, let's start with protein. So late, remember we used to, not we, because we never had this conversation, but remember in the industry, it was like protein timing and when is the best time to bolus dose protein? And should we have a lot of slow digesting protein before bed? And 
and things like that. Over the past decade, research has shown us that um, consistent uh, protein dosages throughout the day is probably best. Um, so it's probably not good to uh, not have protein for the first eight hours of your day and just like bolus dose 200 grams of protein in that last meal, probably not the, the best thing to do. So protein's actually really easy. Understand what your protein requirements are. So uh, very simple. It's like, are we looking at one gram per pound of body weight or are we looking at, uh, you know, one to 1.3 to 1.5 grams per pound of lean body mass, whatever that thing is. If you're, um, if you're a heavier individual, I would go with the latter. Um, but they end up being about the same if you're a fairly lean individual. So identify your protein requirements and just split those things up. If you eat three meals a day, split that protein number into three, but we have to be honest, that protein number is going to be difficult to hit with someone that's eating two to three meals a day if that protein number is like 150 to 200 grams of protein. So you just have to strategize how you're dosing protein throughout your day. And that's where the idea of like the five to seven meals a day came from because it was like that constant hit of, um, of protein synthesis throughout the day. So thinking about how you break your protein up is the starting point. Um, I would always just recommend eat three, four meals a day. Maybe some people go to five because they have a couple snacks. Um, just split those evenly up through that. And if you're doing that, you're fine because you're dosing uh, appropriately throughout the day. And let's call it 20 to 30 grams of protein is enough for most people to start to elicit that protein synthesis process. And 30 to 40 grams is probably not any better than 20 to 30 for most people. So that's where I think the, the, the principle of like disperse evenly is an easy one for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah. And gosh, even uh, where you do run into like conversations and best practices around like protein connected to training and having it like in that anabolic window, whether or not that is true. And it's definitely, you know, researchers kind of disprove the idea that you got to eat your protein within 60 minutes so long as you are getting that adequate amount throughout meals during the day. But if you are breaking up your meals three to four, three to five times throughout the day, chances are those are going to fall within a couple hours, one to two hours of training anyway. And you are going to be getting protein in just by the nature of the fact that you've decided to split it up throughout your meals close to training. So you're kind of covering your bases there anyway. Yeah, it's important. We talked about uh, anabolism and catabolism. It's important for, let's say you have someone that, that trains, I wouldn't recommend this, but Say you have someone that trains at seven o'clock and they get home at eight thirty, and they have some water and go to bed for that person. I'm sorry. I'm like jumping into the pre post, but for that person, it, it might be important to have some protein, uh, post aerobic training at eight thirty at night, right? Because is it a big deal if someone goes to sleep and their goal is like, I should preface it with that. Their goal is to not lose muscle. Um, is it a big deal for them to do that once or twice a month? No, it's, it's really not. But just imagine that same person doing three aerobic training sessions per week every day, or sorry, every week, every month, and the compounding effect of that atrophy occurring through the, the catabolism that they're putting their bodies through for nine, 10 hours, uh, three times a week. So it would be important for that person just because they're doing it consistently and constantly. I don't think it has to be something like, you know, you do that once, once every blue moon and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm stressed out in bed because I'm just losing so much muscle. That, that's definitely not the case. But if you do something over and over and over again, it's going to eventually compound and you're going to start to see those, uh, those negative effects if those are negative effects to you if you're not trying to lose muscle mass. Yeah, definitely. We can get more into the strategy uh, around uh, pre and post <clears throat> a little later in the conversation. But before we wrap up protein, uh, one last thing, and this is a little, doing a little bit of backtracking uh, that I wanted to ask is what are the reasons to eat protein? Because that does come into play when we're thinking about our pre and post workout nutrition. There's got to be a reason that we're putting this macronutrient in our body connected to what we just did. So for protein, what what is that reason? Yeah, I mean, relative to exercise, it's, it's the building block of amino acids, right? It's like we need protein to um, stave off atrophy of muscle tissue or losing muscle tissue. Or if we're on the other side and we're like, I really want to gain muscle tissue, protein's really important. Um, it's important to just be there, though, right? It need, it's important to be there consistently. 
Um, and I know you hit that with like your, if you eat it every few hours, you're probably just fine. And that's what I would say. It's like, if you're getting enough protein consistently throughout your day, timing is actually not that important. Yeah. But it's yeah, muscle, muscle, muscle building. We, gotta, we gotta like build it. building the muscles. Gotta build the muscle yeah. or just keep it. Let's at least keep our muscle. Definitely. That's important. Definitely. Right? So, uh, next piece is carbs. So carbs, timing matters with carbs. Yeah, timing matters with carbs. And it's mostly because of the acti- the types of activities that we do. Um, this one gets a little weird too, right? Uh, because we used to think that timing really mattered with carbs. But now we're getting to a point where, where we're starting to understand it just kind of matters as long as it as it's there and we have a saturation of, uh, of glycogen in the stores. So, you know, if you have someone that's, you know, eating a high carb breakfast and they're like going very low carb throughout the day and then they're eating, you know, a moderate level of carbs at dinner and they're training right at lunch is like, is that less optimal than someone that's timing their carbs like perfectly pre and post? Not really, actually. That's, that's what we've come to find out as long as we're getting enough carbohydrates in over a given time frame. And carbs and fat, it's weird, right? Like there's no, there's no prescription where it's like you need exactly this many carbs to meet your, uh, your dietary needs. It's like carbs are actually non-essential, meaning we can survive without having carbohydrates on a daily basis. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can thrive without having carbohydrates on a daily basis, but, um, there's no, there's no like number for someone. It's like identify what your protein is and then your carbs and your fats have to match your caloric needs so you can, you know, function on a daily basis. Um, when we start to talk about, uh, you know, where we should bias those carbs pre and post training is probably a good idea to ensure that you have enough stores available. If you, let's say you have someone that has zero carbs, right? They're like, I'm going to go zero carbs for five days. It's like, what are they feeling days four and five? Like what's happening? Let's say they have a tough resistance training session. Cause I'm not going to say a really tough aerobic or anaerobic training session because they're just not going to be able to recover appropriately from that if they're not eating carbs. But let's say someone has a tough resistance training session. Our bodies are going to figure it out. Right, our bodies are going to pull glucose from, or glycogen, sorry, from uh, fat stores or fat cells. It'll figure it out. It's way less effective. It's way tougher. It's not going to be as efficient, but it'll figure it out and do it. Right. Um, if we were on the other side and we, uh, I, well, let's let's stop there. I don't want to jump to fats because you might have something to add to carbs. No, I uh, I just wanted to kind of raise, and you mentioned when you introduced carbs that we used to think it was everything and really, really important. And the kind of language and the reason we hear from that or used to hear was around insulin sensitivity being higher post-workout and then the body being more effectively able to actually take the carbs we're eating, that shake we're drinking, and go ahead and utilize and store that as glycogen. So that was the argument. You're saying that's less so the case. Uh, no, not really. It's it's still it's still the case. I'm just saying that it we, we don't have to shuttle in 150 grams of carbs, right? So um, I wanted to save that to pre and post, Oof. but uh, yeah, it's just when we start looking at the composition of the foods that we're eating post training that's where we can start like really getting into the weeds and saying, well, where should carbs be relative to fat, right? Because protein's the same, right? Like we're dosing protein, let's say, you know, you're having 30 grams every meal. Um, now we're starting to make some decisions on like, how am I dosing my carbs and fat? And, you know, rule of thumb, there's an inverse relationship to those things, right? Like if carbs are on the higher side, fat should be on the lower side in a given meal. So with that in mind, right, when we get to the post-workout piece, um, yeah, just people just need to think about, I need to, I should probably bias carbs a little bit because of that reason that you're saying, right? Like insulin sensitivity is a little bit higher, well, a lot higher. And what is fat going to do? A high fat meal with a moderate uh, uh, carb meal going to do? It's going to do very little, right? Because it's going to, it's going to slow the whole process down. Um, all I'm, all I'm saying is that we don't have to get in like we don't have to bolus pre and post and, and carbohydrate. Yeah. And we found that intra-session carbs are extremely overblown. Mostly because when we look at how hard most people train and the duration of the training session, um, there's actually no need 
for intro workout carbs for most people. Uh, it gets a little bit different if you have someone that's training a couple times a day and they're really getting after it a couple times a day, like getting some sugars in 30 minutes into the session or sipping on some sugars throughout the session might be beneficial for that person. But for the typical person that's training 60 to 75 minutes, 60 to 90 minutes, um, and even if they are training hard relatively, uh, that person probably doesn't, well, that person doesn't need carbohydrates intra, intra training session. Yeah. Carbs are one of those ones that, like you said, there's no exact rule of thumb on uh, how much someone should be taking in. You gave the protein number based on lean mass or body weight, but we don't really have that with carbs. So we'll get into how carbs may change depending on type of training that someone is doing, but like other interesting factors that are going to determine how many carbs someone's going to eat around their workout that aren't even necessarily connected to the type of work that they're doing would be things like their leanness level. You yeah. know, do they have a high amount of body fat or a low amount of body fat? How do they feel when they eat carbs? Uh, That's the only thing I would focus on. How they feel? I would focus on how do you feel? Yeah. Because if someone's like, I feel great. It's like, we're probably doing the right things then, right? Like your pro the processes that are happening uh, during training and post training are probably pretty good if you feel great if someone's like i feel tired i have no energy i'm bogged down that was like the gosh what year was that like 2008 2009 when like the the great um the great carb uh sweep hit people's uh nutrition programs and people started eating like people went from 100 grams of carbs a day to like 300 to 350 they were like just fucking jazzed up like i've never felt this good in my entire life and it's like you're just eating appropriately. That's it. Um, so I would only look at feel with carbs yeah. with most people. Um, obviously, if you have someone that's, you know, 45% body fat, there's some things that you need to really think about and how much sugar you're shuttling in and if they're insulin resistant. Um, but yeah, if someone feels good, gosh, that like what, what, why are we even, why are we even talking about it? Right? Like, why are we trying to change that thing if everything's going well? Totally. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to hit on just like principally with carbs, um, that has to do with timing is the the fact that because I've bounced back and forth on this one over the past you know few years it's like the amount of carbs we should have before we go to sleep versus the amount of carbs that we should have upon awakening and the research isn't clear this is another one that has to be based on feel I think and specifically on sleep so on one side it's hey you know bolus some carbs at the end of the day because it's going to promote relaxation. It's going to promote uh, really good sleep. It's going to promote lowering heart rate while you sleep, increasing REM sleep um, throughout the night with a subgroup of people. With the other subgroup of people, the people that are really sensitive, it like it's like a furnace that's rolling, right? They'll have like 50 grams of carbs before bed and they're laying down and their heart rate actually goes the other way and they get really excited and they have a bunch of energy because their body's like, hey, you just gave me all of these carbs. I'm ready to use it. So there's one camp that says have a bunch of carbs before bed, like the whole carb backloading thing, because, you know, there's some really good stuff that it can do body composition wise, which I'm not sold on, but it also promotes relaxation. And then when you start to get into circadian rhythm research, it says that you shouldn't do that. And based on the, what I said in the latter point where it gets our body going, it actually says, um, you should have more, you should bias more carbs at the beginning of the day, right? So you should start your day with more amounts of carbohydrates and then kind of titrate those things down for the best levels or the best rates of circadian rhythm. And it all goes back to like sleep and, and sleep quality, right? So if someone is on one side and they're like, Hey, I, I bolus a bunch of carbs before bed. And they're like, my sleep quality sucks. It's like with that person, maybe consider taking out some of those carbohydrates at night and putting those things in, in the morning. And then if the other person that's like bolusing carbs in the morning and they're crashing at noon, right? It's probably, that's probably not the right, the, the right way to go with them. You might want to bias that in the, in the latter end of the day. So, um, gosh, it's, tr it has to be individualized, right? So we're talking about like buy, feel, look at, you know, how people are responding to certain prescriptions and you have to shift those based on those things. 
So I think that's that's one thing that's important, like principally, like where should you have your carbs? Not even thinking about training, like where should you have your carbs when you're not when you're on an off day? You know what I mean? To throw one more, uh, I guess, common avatar at you, uh, the person who trains at like you know five a.m. and they're going into that workout fasted, they don't have time or let's, desire. Let's talk about that in the pre and post. Okay. No, just, no, yeah, I'm yeah, excited yeah. to get into. It. <laughs> let's get into <laughs> okay, uh, fat. Should okay, we go yeah. fat? Yeah, yeah, fat. So uh, this one's easy yeah. because it's an inverse relationship with carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, principally, you should have lower levels of fat prior to training, zero fat during training for obvious reasons, and you should bias lower levels of fat post-training for the reasons that we just talked about with carbohydrates. Because someone's eating more carbs post-workout, <laughs> yeah. most likely. Yeah, yeah. And in just like uh, even, even a, a – uh, really long and easy aerobic session you shouldn't have a bunch of, of fat post that session either which i think is contrary to popular belief in some camps they're like oh man i'm just like burning fat so i'm replenishing my fats it's like hold on it doesn't actually work that way right it's like it's not it's not an a to b i'm burning fat so um you need to bias if you're like zero carb or very low carb maybe bias a little bit of protein directly after you train and then start getting your fats in, um, you know, two, one and a half to two hours after that training session, because fats just slow down the recovery of everything, of everything. Um, so I th yeah, I think fats are actually pretty simple. Yeah. It's another good one where, uh, like you're not, you're probably not going to prescribe a bunch of fats. So you're not going to have the opportunity to talk about this with your clients uh, around their training, but Think about how a high-fat meal makes you feel. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, fair, for some people, fairly sluggish, a uh, little slow, not like going to do a big training session mm -hmm. or like recovering from one. So Or or a moderate to high-fat uh, meal and then just like move a little bit. Like it's you, – you can tell that your, your body isn't ready to start pushing blood from the gut yeah. just yet because there's a lot of work happening in digestion with uh, – the moderate to high levels of fat. Definitely. Um, anything else to add on micros or water before we get into the pre and post? Um, no, 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 no. I think it's, uh, gosh, I don't want to get into like, you know, meet your daily requirements and, and micronutrients because I think when we start looking at where people need to be macronutrient wise, we have to look at what's actually happening, right? And like biomarkers and stuff like that. Um, so supplementation, uh, what you're biasing and, and micros in your food and stuff like that. Uh, if you're eating a high quality uh, diet where it's like, you know, you're eating a lot of natural foods, uh, fruits, vegetables, lots of colors, um, adequate, you know, sources of protein and, and stuff like that. It's like, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really think too much about it without the proof of like blood work and seeing your levels and, and where those things need to be uh, uh, tweaked in terms of hydration. Yeah, get a minimum of 50% in ounces of your body weight in pounds and, uh, you know, titrate that thing up if, uh, if you're feeling dehydrated on a daily basis. Perfect. All right. So we're going to go uh, considerations around pre and post-workout nutrition for gain, pain, and sustain. So our three main energy systems, three very different types of training that there are some principles that apply to all of them uh, from what we've just discussed, but there's also some key differences in fuel sources and how we need to recover from them. So gain, pain, and sustain, let's start with gain. Yeah. So yeah, we're just talking about resistance training. Um, and gosh, we could get really nuanced because we can now break down, okay, what types of resistance training are you doing? Are you doing strength training? Are you just uh, doing some patterns and, and, you know, just feeling good on a daily basis? Or are you like, I need to build the most amount of muscle that I can possibly build. Um, so we're not going to do that. We'll talk, you know, generally uh, going in and doing resistance training and, and how, to, how to maximize that uh, pre and post training. Um, starting with pre, and there'll be a lot of similarities as we go, you know, each through each one of these energy systems. But what I'd love to do is just point out the nuanced differences based on what type of training you're doing. Um, it was important to lay out the principles that we just talked about in the protein, carbs, and fat, and like how you would distribute those throughout your day. Because if you're following that, right, or like you're, you're, you're very consistent and you have a rhythm and you're feeling pretty good in the gym, 
uh, there's no need to really shift these things up, right? Um, you know, do you want to eat, you know, that, what do we say? You know, if you're, if, if your protein is even, uh, distributed even throughout your four meals and you're biasing carbs a little bit more, let's say you're, you're biasing them a little bit more pre and post training, um, and fat is kind of moderate and then you're, you're not biasing it when you're biasing carbs, um, that's cool. But what about the person that has to eat something 60 minutes, 45 minutes prior to don't have 40 grams of protein, don't have 280 grams of carbs and don't have 20 grams of fat. If you're going into the, if you're walking to the gym in 45 minutes. So God, we wrote a blog about this probably two years ago. The pre-workout nutrition one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like one or two years ago. And what we laid out is we laid out and, th- and this is what I want to talk about. If you're on, if you're just following that, uh, that rhythmic, you know, th- these are my portions that I'm eating four times a day. And that's like two hours before you train. Awesome. Just stick to that. Just ignore everything we're going to say. If you're in this like pinch where you're like, my schedule doesn't allow me to eat, uh, f- far enough away from my training sessions to feel really good going into those training sessions. So when we're talking about maximizing, it's what we laid out in that blog was, one calorie per pound of body weight and you're going to eat that 30 to 60 minutes prior to training once you get lower than or closer than 30 minutes you're kind of pushing it a little bit something that always sticks in my head uh that poliquin always said around uh eating around resistance training his his thing was like hey bring your lunch pail to the gym because it doesn't fucking matter if you're just doing resistance training I wouldn't take it that far. I would actually back it up like 30 minutes. I wouldn't like be eating a sandwich while I'm doing back squats. Um, so 30 to 60 minutes prior, one cal per pound of body weight. And the composition of that is 20% protein, 50% carbs, and 30% fat. So if you're a 200-pound person, that would be something like 10 grams of protein, 26 grams of carbs, and 6 grams of fat 30 to 60 minutes prior to training. So that's like nothing, right? Yeah. That's that's it's like an RX a, bar. Maybe. Yeah, I was, I was I was trying to like fit a food in there. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, an RX bar. Uh, I think it might have more than it's ten got, grams of protein, right? Uh, I think it's got twelve grams of protein, nine grams of fat. Oh, you are. I on have it. one this morning. You are on it. Okay. <laughs> I logged it in my chronometer. <laughs> yeah, so something like that. Um, so that yeah, that's just an idea of um, you know how you can organize eating before resistance training. If you're outside of that 60 minute window, like 90, two hours, 90 minutes, it's like eat as normal, right? That's enough time to go through that digestion process and get into the gym and uh, hit your resistance training session. Intentions of nutrition for, or pre-workout nutrition, I should say, for doing gain or resistance training, uh, especially if they're going to go and do something like hit a 1RM back squat or something that requires a lot of focus, uh, the CNS needs to be ready to fire. They need good mental acuity to be Mm -hmm. able to go and do that. But the notion of like, is this person going to puke during their workout uh, because they just ate a meal? Not so much of a concern as if they were doing like hard intervals on the assault bike. Um, Yeah. Again, it depends on what you're doing, right? If we're hitting 20s to 30s on a hack squat. That feels different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little tough, right? So uh, you got to know yourself, right? You got to know yourself. You got to know yourself and you got to know what you're doing. And this has nothing to do with science and literature. You have to know yourself and you have to know what you're doing and how you feel while you're doing that thing. Um, I don't want to say like everyone just take like this, you know, auto-regulated approach and everything will be fine. But almost, right? Like if you're feeling good and things are great and you're recovering, it's like you're probably doing the right things. Um, So for one person, they could probably eat that composition of even 200 calories 20 minutes prior, 15 minutes prior and feel awesome doing, you know, 20s to 30s on a variety of exercises in the gym. Then you'll get another person where they'll eat 90 minutes prior and they'll do the 20s to 30s and they'll just puke all over the place because they can't handle it. Um, a lot of it has to do with what we're used to. That's what's really important. What are what are our bodies used to doing? My body is not used to eating breakfast and going into workout. I don't care if it's an hour and a half. I don't care if it's 30 minutes. My body's not used to it. So the session just feels different to me if I do that because I'm so used to working out first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, right? Maybe some coffee, uh, a little bit of collagen protein, but almost an empty stomach. Um, 
So if I were to eat anything prior to my training, I wouldn't feel good. So I don't give a shit if someone's like, hey, man, but the science says you should do it. It's like, I don't care, man. Like, I just don't feel it. I don't feel good. So I'm not going to perform the way that I want to perform doing all these bicep curls if I have 200 calories in me. I don't need it. So I think that's really important. It's like, how do you feel going into it? And most people don't need to maximize, right? So we're talking about like, you know, what are some considerations to absolutely nail that session and set yourself up to nail that session every time? It's probably going to be whatever you're used to doing, yeah. honestly. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I'm i now a fasted morning workout-er. -er. Uh, but if you'd asked me that five years ago, I would have told you I could have never worked out without food in my stomach because I was used to eating breakfast. Yeah. But now I'm like a little hungry and ready to go. Like, yeah, I love me too. that. Me too. I used to be... I used to be uh, like a 10 when I was in a gym full time. I was like training at like 10 to 11 and yeah, I'd wake up and I had my routine and my coffee and my breakfast and my breakfast contained this, this, and this, and uh, felt really good going into like 10 and 11 and, you know, trained for an hour and a half, two hours. And yeah, it felt awesome. And if you told me that back then, I'd be like 0% chance. I'd be so, I'd have no energy. Uh, I just wouldn't feel great. But when we start talking about maximizing, uh, re in resistance training it actually is important to have some nutrition in your, in your body. Um, so if we were working with someone that was like, Hey, I have a, uh, a power lifting meet or a body or a body composition or a bodybuilding show in eight weeks, it's like, we're definitely going to organize their training around that first meal. Like their first meal is going to happen. And then we're going to go in and train because those people have to be on it right not just like cortisol bringing them through that session because that's what happens in the morning when we go in fast if we have to do something tough we're just like hanging on for dear life on, on cortisol and hormones right those people have the cortisol and hormones and they also have some uh some some you know oatmeal in their stomach right yeah. to go back and be like okay i'm going to use some of this stuff but just to reiterate ideal situation is they're actually eating a meal uh, and then training a couple hours later versus having to get this like 30 to 60 minute snack in if we're talking about what's optimal. Maximizing. Maximizing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, well, sorry. You said I'd, maximizing they're eating the meal a few hours prior yeah. to going in. Uh, no, I would say maximizing is either or. Okay. Yeah. You're eating the meal or you're putting, you're putting these uh, protein, carbs, and fats prior to in enough time for you to actually start the digestion process and feel good. Um, when we start looking at maximizing, it's like, we're just looking at the day as a whole, right? Yeah. I know we're talking about pre right now, but we're looking at the day as a whole. And a lot of people are in that situation where they can't, you know, get that meal in and then time it where they're in the gym, especially the person that, uh, you know, that eats lunch at 12 o'clock, they get off of work at four and they're in the gym at five. It's yeah. like, that's where it gets difficult. That's where I would look at a strategy like this if they need to maximize. But uh, what does this mean for most people? It doesn't mean maximizing. It just means feeling really good, yeah. right? It just means feeling good when you go into the gym and train. Um, if you're running on fumes and, you know, you get to Friday, Saturday, and you start to realize like, gosh, definitely don't feel like I did on Monday, right? And you know it's not because you, you're on it like a shitty design, but it's just like your lifestyle and your nutrition around it. Yeah, maybe start to look at how you're fueling yourself around your meals or around your training sessions. Um, but for most people, it's just like, yeah, just go in, feel good, and, and get the work done, depending on what, what the intention of the work is. So this person does their gain session. They finish up. What's happening uh, with nutrition on the back end? Are they going to lose their gains if they don't eat protein within 60 minutes? Ooh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, but again, maximizing, yes, right? So if we're working with someone that is a bodybuilder and they're like, I need to gain the most amount of muscle possible, they do need to have some sugars after, right after that training session to maximize adaptation from that specific training session, right? So we're talking about the 1% to 2%, right? That actually matters for those people. If we're talking about someone that is not like tracking the 1% to 2% and it's a pain in the ass to get that in, uh, you know, 30 to 60 minutes post-training, yeah, just, you know, hold off, go home and have a meal that's a little bit higher in carbs, uh, a little bit lower in fat, and then get back on track on your next meal uh, to normal composition. Um, but for the person that's maximizing, that person is having 
some protein and some carbs, zero fat immediately post-workout. Usually that's coming in um, powder forms mm-hmm. um, or very fast digesting forms. As I mentioned earlier, earlier with the, you know, the people that shuttle in the gummy bears and stuff like that. And then they're driving home. And then 60 minutes after that, they're having a, you know, quality meal that is laid out with the lower fat and, and all that stuff that, that we laid out. But there's a difference between maximizing and just being okay with, you know, continually seeing progress. And you don't need to do those things to just continually see progress. What I, what we hate to see is people doing the things that people that are absolutely maximizing the one to two percenters general population people thinking they have to do that right it's like it just blows my mind i don't see it anymore because i don't like go to other gyms but it blew my mind when i would see like general population people sipping on protein and, and gatorade drinks while they're working out right and it's like you're not even training hard. Like, you don't fucking need, like, it's crazy. But what do they do? They look at the people that do need to do that stuff and they just try to mimic it. Same idea with post-workout nutrition, right? It's like, you know, if you're, and and nothing about, nothing against people that are 42% body fat, but if you're 42% body fat, you just got a tough resistance training session in. There's absolutely no need for you to shuttle in protein and carbs post-training. No need. But you still see it right? Because they're in their brains and it's just because they're ignorant to it, right? Which is fair. They just don't know. Um, they think that that's what they need to do to look the way that the person that does it looks, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But the reality is it may actually be counterintuitive uh, to to their goals uh, in dropping a little bit of that body fat. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's calories, absolutely. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one last little note on like that, you know, post-workout shake that that person might be doing immediately after training and going for, you know, powdered and liquid forms of, uh, of carbs and protein and why that might actually be really beneficial and important for that person is just volume of food throughout the day. Mm -hmm. If someone has to get in 200 or 250 grams of protein and 400 grams of carbohydrate, that is a lot of food for them to be able to consume in whole foods sources. Mm -hmm. So having the opportunity to have a carb and protein shake for that person that needs it can make it easier to get appropriate nutrition on a daily level as well as just what's important you know post-workout that's the maximizing person right maximizing let's just call that the we need to like come up with a name for that person as we go through the next few i think back to the like uh the big dogs the old school uh big dogs blog function uh being and will yeah but there might be some wills that are listening and they're like that's not me that's true (laughs) (laughs) sorry wills Will's like, what the fuck, man? Um, yeah, let's just call it the performance person. Yeah. The performance person. Yeah. Yeah, so for the performance person, absolutely, right? But, like, pay attention to what Georgia said. She said for the performance person, like, if you're the, the average Joe or Jane, oof, yeah, if you're the average person, yes. Um, if your problem is that you can't get in the volume of food that you quote-unquote need, take a step back, look at your lifestyle, Look at the volume of food that you think you need and organize some shit around getting that volume of food in in a not in, in non supplemental forms because yes. uh, it's it's not needed for that person. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just like a shortcut. Right. It's like totally can't get in my protein. So I got to have three scoops before bed. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take a step back. Let's talk about how you can a do you need that much protein and B, let's talk about if you do. Uh, how we can get that in uh, throughout the day. Nothing wrong with protein shakes. Let's uh, let's transition to pain and what uh, what might need to happen pre and post workout for uh, pain training. Oof. What is pain training? Um, it's the hard stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we're we're talking about like uh, you know really tough anaerobic training. Um, and for this, again, stick to your normal training schedule, right? Uh, but now this is where we're only going to talk about the person that's maximizing because people that are not don't need to do this type of training. You don't have to go in and do like painstaking anaerobic training. Um, so for the person that's maximizing, uh, eat like you normally eat, right? Feel out, you know, Oh, I have, you know, on Tuesday I go in and I have like these lactate intervals. Um, how did you feel last week when you had food 90 minutes prior? Probably not great. Right? So now when we talk about this person, 
having that food further out now becomes more important because of what's happening, right? Like what's happening in the system, we're creating a bunch of lactate. And if there's any food in the system while we're creating lactate, um, some bad things are going to happen. Whether that person, that person's performance is just going to completely, uh, you know, go into the, in the, into the gutter or they're going to throw up. <laughs> they're, yep. they're not going to be, they're going to physically get sick. Yes. Um, so it's really important for this person to keep food pretty far out. And it doesn't matter what the composition of that food is. You can't have it, let's just say, you know, steak in the ground within 90 minutes. Like yeah. you shouldn't do that. You just shouldn't because you want everything out of the gut. You know, you want some hydration, maybe some electrolytes, stuff like that. But you don't want protein, carbs, and fat hanging out in the gut because you're going to need every ounce of that blood and you don't want any of that blood hanging out in your stomach. Um, now walking through, you know, the, the same thing that we walked through before, we're still saying one calorie per pound of body weight, but we're pushing that out to two plus hours. So let's say two to two and a half hours prior to that pain training session. Uh, the composition here is 5% protein, 75% carbs and 20% fat. So an example of this would be three grams of protein. So that's like residual levels yeah. of protein. You could have a little bit of oatmeal and put nothing in it because oatmeal will give you that three grams, 38 grams of carbohydrate and four grams of, of fat. So almost residual levels of fat as well. So you're eating a very, very carb biased meal. I wouldn't call it a meal snack, two plus hours, two to two and a half hours prior to your training session. And the reason for that, I mean, carbs are our body's preferred fuel source and what we need to be able to go and uh, do some uh, hard training. And they're fast digesting. Yes. Very, very fast digesting. So, um, yeah, so for those two reasons, as well as the timing aspect, I don't know if that was really clear, but the timing aspect becomes a lot more important because when we eat anything, it has to hang out in our gut for an amount of time. For some people, it's two hours. For other people, it's eight hours, right? depending on like that, that digestive process and what the food was that you put in. So we're biasing carbs because we want it to be a little bit quicker. Sorry, I almost blew the table up here. We want it to be a little bit quicker and we're going further out because we want that digestion process to almost finish because if we have a bunch of food that's in the stomach digesting, our blood goes to the gut, right? Because digestion is a fairly tough activity for the human body. So we have a bunch of blood that's in the gut you know, uh, helping that digestive process to occur. And then you have that happening and then you're on this assault bike and you're going as hard as you can for 60 seconds and you start to feel that lactate build up, right? Which is good. You can use that as a, as a, you know, energizer bunny to kind of push you over the finish line. But that blood is so busy in your gut that that blood doesn't efficiently go to your extremities. So you have a bunch of lactate in your quads and in like your, your upper back from just like pushing and pulling, pushing and pulling, but you don't have any blood to support that. And that's when it's like, okay, I'm starting to feel really sick because I have all this lactate buildup. Um, the hydrogen ions are making me uh, hurt and there's nothing shuttling that throughout the system. So if you, you have no blood shuttling that. And that's when people get really sick and they, uh, their, their performance goes into the gutter. So it's important that that blood just isn't hanging out in the gut while we're doing those really tough intervals on the assault bike. So don't slam a burger 60 minutes prior to doing your OPEX pain training. That's what I'm taking from this. Or do it, video it. And uh, no, I think we need to <laughs> put a notice out there. It's like watching, I don't know if you watch Ridiculousness. Oh, yeah. And yeah, It's like yeah, the little yeah. warning. Well, if I see people puke, I puke. So no one send that in, please. <laughs> send that over to Georgia, please. Or send it to me and I'll forward it to Georgia. Uh, so um, what about, um, what happens after? So post-workout. Yeah, so this is going to be very similar to uh, considerations in aerobic training. Yep. Um, but the difference here is that the process that we just talked about, you know, with uh, lactate being produced and and all of that, that that occurs and that takes a little bit of time to kind of calm down. So post anaerobic training, you actually don't want to shuttle a bunch of nutrients in. You want the system to be able to calm down and get as close to homeostasis as possible before you add any additional processes to that. And I think it's just easier to wrap our, our brains around time, right? So we don't eat two hours prior or we eat two hours prior. We train and then let's say like 30, 30 to 60 minutes post training, just 
you're cooling down in that time and you're bringing your body back down. Once you get out of that window, now you're really biasing carbohydrates because if you perform that session appropriately, you probably tapped almost all of your stores and you might have an off day tomorrow, which is fine. But the next day, you're going to have to get back in the gym, I think, and do something because you're a performance person if you're doing this type of work. So now it's all about setting yourself up for that next training session to be recovered enough to perform that next training session adequately. So you shouldn't be in a huge hurry to recover from that because, you know, principally, we shouldn't be doing that type of training and then, you know, doing some resistance training like four hours later. So you shouldn't be in a massive hurry. So you want the system to come down as naturally as possible and then start refeeding the system uh, so you can be good for your next training session 24, 48 hours later. Yeah, and I mean, just think about how that feels as well. Most people don't feel like uh, chugging a protein carb shake like 10 minutes after finishing some really tough intervals. Going back to what we talked about, if we just go by how we feel, we're probably actually making <laughs> the right decisions. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, we're not going to feel like eating those things or drinking those things immediately after that work. If you're actually doing that work, that shit doesn't feel good. There's a reason why it's called pain. Um, so, yeah, James was a genius in that, calling that pain work. Seriously, so, so, yeah, it's I so, love it. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Um, but, yeah, you're not going to want to. So listen to your body. Right? Yeah, it's listen pretty to your smart. Body. Yeah, listen to your body. Pretty smart. Sometimes. And then just to reiterate as well, this only applies to the person who's maximizing uh, because unless you are uh, really training for performance, you're not doing pain style training. So uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Should we finish up with sustain? Or you got more to say about pain? Nope. Nothing Nothing more to say about okay. pain. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Go, let's go to sustain. Let's, uh, let's talk about aerobic work. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, very similar to resistance training. Yep. Yeah. Um, but now this gets, we kind of, I was like, oh, well, you could be doing strength work. You could be doing hypertrophy work, or you could just be the general popula population person doing patterns and gain and sustain. We really can't say, oh, you're just coming in and you're doing some sustain work. Um, so just think about like the map continuum, right? One, we're really fast, high turnover, um, you know, low amounts of, uh, low amounts of time per set. And then we have like map 10, you're going on a really long walk. Those things are just completely different. So we have to think about this differently. So instead of going through each one of those map one versus map 10, let's just talk about the intensity of your aerobic sessions. If you are, if you're someone that's like, okay, I'm doing these sustained sessions, you know, first thing in the morning and I'm doing them. Cause I'm on this, like I'm, I'm maximizing. So I'm on this cut for my bodybuilding show. What are your considerations around that? You don't really have any considerations around that, right? For that person, that person's probably thinking, um, how do I put this session in and ensure that I'm not absolutely starving the rest of the day. So for that person, they might opt to train fasted, not because there's a, there's any magic in that they're going to burn more fat or anything like that. It's just because they want to save their calories for the latter portion of the day, right? So we're talking about maximizing. Um, and then on that, I think it's, I don't want to gloss over that. Someone does burn more fat body stores if they're, if they're training fasted, or if they're doing cardio fasted. But as soon as that person eats, they're kind of going back to zero, right? If someone eats prior to going, into that training session, they're burning the fats from their food, but if they're eating the same amount throughout the day, they also go back to zero. So that's, that's what I mean when it's like, there's no magic in fasted versus uh, fed cardio. Yeah. It's based on how you feel. Um, so that's the person that's like map 10 for performance. Yep. Makes sense. I, I was trying to map my head. I was trying mm -hmm. to wrap my head around like, why would you do map 10 for performance? So that's, that's where my head went. Uh, let's say someone that's doing map one, or like really fast work for performance. And then this would be like, you know, say 30 seconds of work and, you know, you're doing 50 intervals of that all the way up to like five, five minutes of work and you're doing, gosh, let's say, you know, six to 10 intervals of that. So you're doing some pretty intense aerobic work. Going back to how we laid out the, the other pieces, we don't want to push this one as close as the resistance training piece. We're in resistance training. We said 30 to 60 minutes for this one. Let's, let's stop that at about 60, 60, uh, 60 minutes prior. And that's even pushing it 
for the map one person, the person that's doing some pretty intense work. Um, if you're in a pinch and you're not like on that normal eating schedule, if you're in a pinch 60 minutes prior, one cal per pound of body weight still, composition here is going to be a little bit different. So here we're saying 15% protein, 55% carbs, and 30% fat. So obvious differences between this one and the OPEX pain piece is that carbs are still a little bit higher because right principally we probably should have a little bit higher amounts of carbs prior to training if we're trying to maximize uh, but fat is also there because we're not getting into that like lactate sick feeling state while we're training right like it'll be tough intervals but it should be sustainable uh, to be aerobic work so example for someone that's eating 200 calories that's eight grams of protein 27 grams of carbs and seven grams of fat what is that food Eight grams of protein, seven grams of fat, and 27 grams of carbs. 27 grams of carbs. Is it like an egg and a piece of toast? Um, that is it, actually. It's yeah. pretty close, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's pretty good. Yeah. You should know that because you have an egg and a piece of toast. I do. Like every day. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do, but it's, it's incredible. Like, you do develop a pretty good intuition yeah, for yeah. these things over the years. Yeah. You know what I thought when I saw that? I was like, that's like... 40 grams of oatmeal uh -huh. and like 10 grams of peanut butter oh that sucks though 10 grams of peanut butter yeah, what a yeah. sad amount it's not worth we just it. keep a little bit on the roof of your mouth <laughs> <laughs> you scrape a little off your tongue like every 15 30 seconds i would probably mix the peanut butter with like pb fit so oh, it like okay. made it a bit more, yeah, more yeah. volume okay. i'd be too sad otherwise <sighs> all right well you just need to get on that consistent rhythm, that this rhythm, that rhythm uh, session. Um, so yeah, that would be the difference in uh, sustain versus what we what we laid out in pain. Going into the session. Going into. Yeah. Let's come out the other side. Yeah, coming out, it's uh, it's very similar to gain. Um, you should feel like, you know, processes got really high. You're sweaty. Um, you should rehydrate after these yep. sessions because this is what we're talking about where you're actually losing a lot of fluid. So um, even even like uh, intra, intra session, right? Like you should be hydrating with something like an electrolyte or something like that. If you didn't have the opportunity to do that intra, it's like maybe have an electrolyte drink or something like that uh, post-training here. Um, as well as uh, on the protein, carbs, and fat side, it would be very similar to what we did in the gain training, or yeah, the gain training session. My, my brain went to gain train when I said that. Ooh, gain training I like session. That. Yeah, and the gain train. Yeah, so it'd be very similar there. And it's like, what are we trying to do there? Uh, we're, we're fairly, we're probably fairly catabolic here, right? Like we're not doing slow and controlled resistance training. We're breathing really hard. Uh, we're really taxing the system. Um, for this person, if their goal, and we're talking about maximizing, if their goal is, Hey, I want to do some aerobic training, but I don't want to lose muscle mass, uh, first and, and, you know, program design, understand how much you can actually recover from, but let's say they're, they're good to go on that. Um, you need to think about, you know, replenishing, uh, amino acids, uh, post-training. But for your person who's just coming in, they're doing their sustained session, they're uh, taking a shower and they're heading to work. Yeah, drink some water. Yep. Yeah, drink some water, cool down a little bit maybe if you're doing those like more intense sessions. Um, and, you know, when your next meal comes around, eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, uh, really what I've gained from this conversation is that pre and post-workout nutrition is less complicated than we like to uh, make it seem. There are some little intricacies per training type. But it really only matters, number one, if someone first is making sure they're covering their bases throughout the day, and then number two, if they're looking to maximize performance in any of those areas. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the most important thing is, are you getting in enough food on a daily basis yeah. to sustain what you're doing in life, in training, and all of that? If you are and the goal isn't total maximization of any system, you're probably doing okay. Um, if you're not, don't look at, you know, pre and post and all of that and strategies to like, you know, uh, band-aid your, your, your nutrition program that's jacked up on the other side. Just look at what you're eating, right? Look at how much you're eating. Um, because yes, quality does matter, but quantity also does really matter uh, for anyone, whether they're a performance person or just an average person that's, that wants to be healthy, right? Like we need to have enough fuel to 
have great energy on a day-to-day basis. If you're good on that and you don't have any huge performance goals and you realize that your training is taking away from your energy and your vitality, don't think about how can I organize nutrition around that. Think about what you're doing in training and maybe that training needs to change to meet your goals and what you want to get out of that. Let's troubleshoot a little bit and just talk about some, uh, and I brought this one up earlier, but some examples of where uh, training might be in non-ideal times. Uh, They might not be able to follow what we've laid out with pre and post nutrition. So your early morning workout person, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're in the gym at like 5 or 5.30 a.m. They do not have time to eat anything other than, you know, drink water, maybe a little bit of coffee prior to training session. Any strategies you think about going into that? If that person is like, let's call, say they're doing gain and sustain training. Um, are they are they maximizing? Are they a performance person or are they just the, the average person? They're a performance person. Yeah. But they're feeling crap. Like they don't, they don't feel good going in fasted. They feel uh, like they need a little something, something else, uh, jigged around. Yeah. First thing, and I know this is in reality for a lot of people, if you're a performance person and, uh, your training doesn't allow you to train at times that are ideal for you, consider not being a performance person. Yeah. Uh, cause obviously there's something else that's more important that they're doing on a daily basis where their training can't <laughs> supersede that. So that's number one. Um, If you're like, okay, I get it, bro, but I need to pay my bills and I really enjoy competing in X, Y, or Z, it's like, okay, let's band-aid this thing up, right? It's like, okay, uh, we talked about uh, carbohydrate composition as we get to the later later times in the day. It's like, that's actually your pre-workout meal. Is it actually? No, because it's like 12 hours prior to your training session, 10 hours prior to your training session. Uh, but you have to consider that your pre-training meal. And what we talked about in like composition and having uh, a rhythmic approach or taking a rhythmic approach into how you're getting your protein, carbs, and fats. And um, I think it's safe to say that, you know, if you're having 100 grams of carbs from, you know, 4 to 8 p.m. Uh, and you're not doing any tough physical activity, those hundred grams of carbs aren't just going to dissipate when you wake up at five o'clock, drink some water and go to the gym. So that would be number one for the person that wakes up really early is to ensure that you're getting enough carbohydrate, uh, the night prior, uh, because it's not going to just disappear. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to flip it around now to the person who's training late at night and I'll put myself in this camp. I, uh, train BJJ from five thirty till 7 30 8 o'clock doing some like pretty tough stuff right up until that point and then it's a race home to eat some food and uh, try and fall asleep by nine o'clock considerations there at least on a personal level are like how can we get nutrition in that is easy to absorb that isn't going to have a lot of drag to digest because reality is whatever I eat, I'm going to be digesting it Mm -hmm. at 9 PM when I'm trying to fall asleep and uh, keeping volume lower, like not trying to eat a bunch of broccoli and cauliflower for dinner time, getting my veggies in earlier uh, in the day, look up, looking after my micros earlier in the day so I can make sure I am hitting carbs, a little bit of protein and then uh, heading off to sleep. Yeah. You just answered it, right? It's like you, you have to take a different approach into, uh, meal scheduling and what you call your meals um you know just in our culture at least it's uh we're the same culture it's okay in our culture at least um we're so attached to this like breakfast lunch and dinner and there's like certain foods that go into breakfast lunch and dinner and we have those at certain times for you it's like your breakfast lunch and dinner are different on those days like you're not having your typical dinner foods when you come home from uh jujitsu what do you say like 8 30 at night yeah yeah you're not having your typical dinner on that day where you're like okay i got my cauliflower got my chicken thighs got my right like you're not really doing that so that meal just needs to happen um earlier in the day so it might be a shift in meals or it's a shift in what you put inside of each one of those meals and i think you you brought up a really good point that was going to be what i would have said was to ensure that you're really biasing your like uh, heavier load or density foods earlier in the day, and those because those foods are going to have your micronutrients, right? Um, so for that person, I actually have like a high high micronutrient uh, or a dense micronutrient breakfast even, right? So having like some lean proteins or even some fatty proteins, it doesn't matter. Having some proteins and some vegetables for for 
for breakfast, right? Quote unquote. And then next meal, having a very similar type meal. Um, and then for the next meal, having something a little bit lighter probably because you're getting closer to actually going in and doing that thing. So it's like you have two really micronutrient dense meals and then you have two what we would probably call like uh, lower density snacks. That would be essentially what we walk through in our pre and post uh, training meals. So that's that would be my where my head goes to first when hearing the, the late trainee. Yeah, I think it's uh, the early morning and the late one are both important to consider because they mm -hmm. are clients that our coaches are going to run into time and time again because of the way our days are set up. Uh, with a nine to five schedule, a lot of people are cramming training, hard training in the morning and in the evening, even if it might be suboptimal for performance goals. So, But it's important, right? Like most of, most of coaches, clients, unless you're just coaching, you know, high level competitors or athletes, uh, most people just need to follow some decent principles that they, that they can recover from and, and feel good going into not only training, but life on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, that's why I think it was important to lay out like maximizing versus just like, Hey, I'm just like doing, um, not to like minimize that because I think it's awesome that people are just doing every day shit we're doing every, oh, not, not so much you, you're an athlete these days. 50, 50. Um, I'm just doing right. So um not to minimize that i think that's awesome but i just don't think we have to overthink all of it it's like hey how do you feel and making those like little small personalized adjustments for every person because what we just walked through in like am and, and pm there there's definitely a coach out there it's like tried that doesn't work with my client so it's like hey you need to individualize that program a little bit more and figure out what works for that client well i think that's a really good place to wrap it up carl uh as always guys make sure you like subscribe and leave us a review and do remember that we just opened up enrollment for our uh, first CCP cohort of 2022. So, uh, gosh, it's 2022. It's happening. It's crazy. Yeah, get in there uh, if you want to be a part of that.